I'm trusting that you can hear me. Uh, my name is Frank Klappich, and I'm your uh, speaker this morning. And uh, I'm looking very forward to uh, sharing with you this morning from Scripture. I'm going to do something a little different than usual. Uh, we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of Scripture instead of like we usually do working our way through some particular passage of Scripture. And uh, as you can see, our subject this morning is going to be uh, the believer's freedom. Now first, uh, a couple of caveats. Uh, first, I'm not used to preaching with, with a hat on, but I do suffer from uh, a particular condition called hair deficiency. And uh, if I do preach without my hat on for, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes here this morning, uh, I will be suffering with a sunburned head, uh, you know, for the rest of the day. So forgive me if, uh, you know, wearing a hat will I preach. The second thing is, this actually is my printing. Uh, a long time ago, uh, I was taking a class on the teaching of reading, and we learned how to teach reading to people at all different age levels. And when we were working on uh, sixth grade reading, uh, each of us had to pre present a lesson, you know, a potential lesson, and use the blackboard. And uh, so I went to the blackboard and I began to print on the blackboard, and uh, everyone started to laugh. And I couldn't figure out why they were laughing. They thought I was trying to write like a sixth grader, and I was, you know, making fun. It would appear that my printing has skills stopped at the sixth grade level. So, you know, please, with, with the printing, I, I can't do any better, uh, you know, than that. So please just, you know, kind of take that as, you, as, it, as it will. Uh, this morning, I'm going to just share uh, four short scriptures. Uh, I could have shared probably 12 or 20 uh, along this same line, but that would obviously be too many be overkill, you'd all glaze over. But these four sort of make the point, they're probably all scripture passages you've read, and this morning I'd like to challenge you along the lines of, have you really understood what they mean and the implications of them? So here we go, our fourth scripture. Just in case you have a Bible with you, these are the scripture I'm reading. The first one, John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The second one, Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and be, have become slaves of God, you have the fruit of sanctification and its end, eternal life. The third one. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And lastly, Galatians 5.1 Very Jewish. The Jews always like to do this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, using the same word twice in the, in the sentence proclaiming a proclamation. It's a very, very Jewish way of writing, not surprising for Paul. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, this morning we're going to talk about freedom. And I pray that as your spirit moves upon our hearts and lives that we'll have a deepened understanding of what the believer's freedom, biblical freedom, really is. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a young man named Melissus who actually lived during the time of Christ. He was a Roman freedman, meaning that his parents purchased their liberty and became Roman citizens. Unfortunately, he had a very hard and difficult start in life. From what we know, and we only know part of the story, and it's uh, only fragmentary, but what we do know is that his parents had a big argument after he was born, and his father decided to expose him, that is to set him out to the elements and to let him die, to get rid of him, to commit infanticide, as we call it today. Fortunately for Melissus, a man named Menaeus rescued him and raised him in his home as a slave. And it turned out that this was a really good deal for Melissus. And uh, the reason it was is that Menaeus really just came to just really love this young man. And he sent him to the best schools, he educated him. Uh, essentially, Melissus became a man of letters. And uh, uh, he actually invented uh, a form of Roman fiction. Uh, it's kind of like Knights of the Round Table stories that were built around uh, Roman soldiers and so on. Uh, he also collected a number of books of jokes. So apparently he had a sense of humor. A very interesting man. But it turned out that Melissus's parents eventually figured out that he had been taken by Menaeus and raised by him. And the mother came to the home and said, you cannot keep him as a slave because he is the son of a freedman. Okay? His natural father was a freedman and a freedman could not be a slave. A Roman citizen could not be enslaved. So uh, anyways, this is actually what provoked this letter to be written. It was uh, between lawyers discussing the law uh, concerning the, uh, the freeing of slaves back then. Well, as it turned out, we don't really know how the legal thing worked out, but Melissus actually declined. He said, look, Mom, I don't want to be set free. I, I've got a great life here. I want to stay in the situation that I'm in. I'm treated wonderfully. I've got a wonderful education. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I can pursue my literary career and so on. But apparently, because I'm assuming because of the laws, he was in fact set free. Which turned out again to his benefit because his fame had become known to Augustus, the emperor, and he hired him to run his Octavian library in Rome. So he went on to even uh, you know greater heights uh, as it turned out in our story. But what we see in this story is a great paradox, right? I mean, from our point of view, you know, a person doesn't want to be a slave, right? I mean, no, nobody wants to be a slave, and yet, yet, Melissus wanted to be a slave. 
Did you notice the one verse we read this morning? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. So slavery to God, slavery to Christ for us is freedom. It doesn't seem to make sense. Well, there's a one of the, there's a, a reason why it doesn't. And that's because our language concerning these words like freedom have been so colored by our own history and by uh, our own politics and by our founding documents and so on. So oftentimes you'll even hear sometimes, you know, political folks will preach about political freedom exactly from these texts, you know, that, that I'm, I'm reading to you. But, but in fact, these texts aren't really about political freedom, as strange as that may sound, uh, you know, to us this morning. Uh, now, I'm not putting down political freedom, uh, what is often referred to as natural rights. I, I mean, I think freedom of speech and freedom of religion uh, freedom to assemble with, uh, you know, people that you are of like-minded with. Uh, the fact that uh, before you can be taken to court, they have to actually show evidence, due process of law. All these things are very wonderful, you know, and they are blessings in their own right. But, you know, there were Christians in places where there is no democracy, and where there were no constitutions, and where there were no political rights uh, like we know them today. As a matter of fact, in times past, people were referred to as subjects, not citizens, in many, many countries throughout history, okay? Uh, because they were subject to the king, you know, to whatever the king willed. And yet there, in that environment, there still were Christians, and Christians who experienced Christian liberty. So what is the believer's liberty, the believer's freedom? I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what it is, is it is the freedom to know God, the freedom to have a personal relationship with God, the freedom to be restored to that relationship with God and to pursue it all of our lives and even into eternity. It's really a wonderful thing. And it's the privilege of all of us here today who believe in Jesus. Whoops, I see my page blew over, huh? is this particular Greek word, which you know, isn't important to us today, but just to know that there is a specific word for it. And generally throughout the Bible, it's associated with being released from prison, being released from debt, being freed from legal charges, okay? having your charges dismissed, being found not guilty. But theologically, in the Bible, it is often used to refer to being released from the guilt, burden, and condemnation of sin. Now, if you put this together with what we talked about at the beginning, right? The freedom to know God, 
Freedom is like a coin in the Bible. It has two sides. The one side is the, the ability, the blessing of being able to pursue a relationship with God. The other side of the coin is we have been set free from sin, the guilt and burden of sin, and from the bondage to the world and to Satan. Okay? So both sides are involved in the biblical understanding of freedom. But there's more. The difference in the Bible between the idea of sin and sins. Okay? Sin in the singular in the Bible denotes a condition. I like to think of it you can think of it in a lot of ways, but I like to think of it as brokenness. Okay? We are broken. Okay? We're broken. We're born broken. Actually, God does not hold us account in account for being broken. He holds us to account for our sins. And sins are the destructive intentions of our heart and, and the things we actually do in great measure because we are broken. Okay? As a matter of fact, uh, this is one reason why uh, many of us Protestants believe that uh, the children are innocent and that when they were broken, but they, they never actually reached a point where they could be accountable for their actions and actually rebelled against God. God punishes sins. He doesn't punish the brokenness. And you might say to my, you know, somebody might be thinking right off, well, then why do we, uh, I mean, that's because creation is broken, okay? Uh, it's broken. It's not working quite like it should. Just like the image of God has been tarnished in us, in the larger creation, the design of God has been tarnished by sin. So brokenness is uh, our lives. And so, that brings us to this. And this is going to be fun, seeing if I can write on this. So, I'd like to suggest to you this morning this chart for you to think about. I think it's going to change your idea of what freedom is. This is the person that you see on your chart if you, if you have your own copy. And uh, on his back, uh, really borrowed this from uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he depicts our brokenness as a giant weight uh, on the back of the person. When we reach the age that we know the difference between right and wrong, we quickly, just like uh, you know Adam and Eve, our ancestor before us, we sin. And we activate that brokenness in a moral and spiritual sense in our lives. And from that time on, we are free to choose, but within the realm of darkness. Okay? We do have freedom to make choices, but the big choice that would be so satisfying to us is beyond our reach because of our brokenness. And on top of our brokenness, sin activated in our life, we also have the effects of the world around us that drag us down. We also have the effects of uh, uh, the devil, 
it is dominions, you know, that tempt us. We have all these other things that are pulling us down. And the, the bottom line is, is that, man, we are in a pickle. We are lost. We're in a terrible state. Well, what's the answer? How can we get to the kingdom of light? The answer, of course, is Jesus Christ and his provision on Calvary. And if I could, if I was a better artist, I'd draw little footprints all over this. We roam all around the kingdom of darkness, right? We try everything. We try money. We try sex. We try drugs. We try whatever. You know, we're trying to find some fulfillment and to, to do something about the brokenness that's in us and the way it plays out in our life that we don't like. We don't like what we see in ourselves, you know, and, and what we see ourselves doing. We try to cover it over. And of course, while we're doing this, the Holy Spirit is at work. He is drawing us to the kingdom of light. He's drawing us in the direction of the cross. And one day, the believer gets to this point where there it is. There's the cross. And of course, what happens, uh, in the way I understand it, is that in that wonderful moment, the Spirit of God moves upon the depths of our heart and He makes it possible for us to see what we need to do. And then our, our role is not to resist it, to just simply receive what God has done for us. We can resist it, and I'll bet there's many people today here who resisted more than once before finally they were able to, you know, surrender with the help of the Holy Spirit. Once that happens, we transition into the kingdom of light. Okay? And it's wonderful. We, we then know God. It's, you know, I'm, I remember so well, and I'm adding this, I didn't actually have this in the sermon, it just came to my mind, but I, I remember this uh, sailor who came in, had a terrible experience in his church where he'd been abused. And, uh, and, uh, but he came in to talk, and I gave him a Bible, and I said, look, don't judge Christ on the people that said they represented him. Judge Christ on his own. Here's a Bible, read from John, read, read Jesus' words himself, Okay? If you still think you you know you don't want to have anything to do with them, that's fine. But at least give him a fair shake, you know. Listen to what he had to say himself. So he, every so often, my, the door in the ship would open. He'd come in to chat with me, and he'd leave. And then one day he came in, and he said, you know, he says, I I, I think I need to act on this. Uh, what do I need to do? What's the next step? And I said, well let's pray together. And one of the things that was so fascinating with him is that he would always refer to God in an impersonal way. He would say, well, you know, I don't know about the man upstairs, you know, well, the big guy, yeah, you know, I mean, it would always be this like real distant terms, you know. So anyways, uh, I said, well, bow your head with me and let's pray. And we just prayed a very simple prayer, you know. And I knew something was happening because he was just, you could see the intensity on him, you know, that uh, it, something powerful was happening. And we got finished, and he looked at me, and he's like, you know, like something, you could tell something happened. And I said, look, I said, why don't you close us in prayer, okay? And, uh, and then uh, 
continue reading, come back if you have any questions, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue. And he opens his mouth, and guess what he says? He does not say, big guy. He does not say, man upstairs. He says, dear father. And I could about blow, fall out of my chair. I'm thinking of all you know, the Spirit of God in us cries, Abba, Father. And so he, he prayed this beautiful prayer to get done. And I told him, I said, you have just given witness that you know God and that you've been reconciled to him. Do you remember all the times you came in and you referred to God as the big guy? And yet, you know, with all these impersonal, faraway terms, this morning when I asked you to pray, you said, Heavenly Father, with tears down your face, man, something has happened in your heart. You've been born again. You now have a relationship with God. Now, this is not the end of it. This is an ongoing process. All the days of your life, when you live in this world as a believer, you should be more and more, having more and more intimacy with God. More and more personal relationship with God. Now I know, I always hear, you know, all the times that preachers wrong. it's not your feelings, you know, it's not your, well, no, it, it's not. But we really do have a relationship with God. This is what this is all about. It's not about just head knowledge, right? I know I'm saved because one, two, three. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. God wants to have a personal 